You know, guys, when you get to be our age, finding the motivation to get back in shape can be hard. It's just plain tough to find a routine and to stick with it. Good news. FitBod is a fitness app that is anything but routine. It tailors your workouts to fit your life, your goals, your gear, and even your schedule, so you can avoid burnout. And FitBod helps keep up your momentum by mixing in different exercises, reps, supersets, and circuits. Best yet, FitBod has over 1,000 demonstration videos, so you can learn the right way to do each exercise. It's time to ditch the boring routines and kickstart your fitness journey. Add FitBod to your workout essentials. Join today to get your personalized workout plan. Get 25% off your subscription or try the app for free at fitbod.me slash Zabe. That's F-I-T-B-O-D dot M-E slash Zabe. Today on the Zabecast at Kentucky Derby for the Ages, but was it too good to be true? I'll show you just how little I truly know with Andy Poley. Katie Nolan is crying boo-hoo and playing the girl card over her bad reviews on the Apple TV broadcast. Speaking of boo-hoo, that's all people are saying in the Bucks Celtics series about the officiating. Is there any fix? Your bonus, uncensored, 30-minute wild ride of pure me is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go. <laughs> Here we go! Monday, May 9, 2022. Thank you for downloading. I'm in Milwaukee this week for a short span, a couple of days, three days, meetings and whatnot. And I do live here part-time now. Uh, it's my job with 97.3 The Game. But I'm also sick, and, and I don't know what it is. It's it's very frustrating. I Everybody raise your hand where you've been sick and you're just not even sure what the hell it is. I've got aches. I've got... A little bit of chills. Don't have a fever. Oh, I checked that. A little bit of a sore throat, but not much. Don't have major congestion. I'm not sneezing. I'm not coughing. I went to the doctor. He looked for a sinus infection. Not there. Uh, looked for flu. Not there. Looked for COVID. Not there. I'm almost thinking this might be potentially a little flare-up of my rheumatoid arthritis condition in which you can have spells in which it flares up and just kind of messes with your system. I, I don't know what it is, but I'm playing hurt this week. I want credit for it. You ever have sicknesses where you're like, I'm just like at 50% and it sucks. Okay, on with uh, the, the podcast and the week that is. It's going to be a short week as well uh, because on Thursday night, I'm going up to Philadelphia with my wife and my family uh, to remember and later rest my father-in-law, Jim Kelly who passed away at 85 years old last week. This man was a titan of a father and a husband and a businessman. He was amazing. You know, my wife's family grew up in not quite mainline Philly, but sort of mainline. I joke with my wife. I'm like, you're a mainline, you know, preppy. She's like, we didn't live on the mainline. Well, you lived close enough. Uh, Drexel Hill is where they grew up. And... My father-in-law first started by owning a horse blanket factory in a kind of sketchy part of Philadelphia. It's all sketchy now, but, you know, at the time it was starting to get sketchier and sketchier. He'd have to go down in the middle of the night when there was, you know, break-ins and, uh, you know, talk to the police and give them information and stuff. My father-in-law, before I met him as well, 
used to be big into driving Porsches. He was in the Porsche Club of Pennsylvania, and he would go up to Pocono Raceway um, in you know on the weekends to 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 drive his Porsche around the Pocono Raceway because you could as a member of the Porsche Club. He also smoked, he drank, he cussed at Eagles games. But by the time I had come into his life and had met his wife or his daughter, who became my wife, he was a whole nother 2.0 man. He had quit drinking. Uh, he wasn't getting all agitated over, um, you know, football games and didn't smoke anymore, had given up the Porsche. But the horse blanket factory had pretty much been washed away by cheaper Chinese imports. And, you know, they still had, you know, my daughter or my, my they still had their daughter, my wife, to get through college. And so they had to do something. So they basically packed up and went to Maine to open and operate a bed and breakfast in Bar Harbor, Maine. Amazing. And at the time that they moved up there and did this, you know, the bed and breakfast industry was kind of very loosely organized up there. It was not kind of the powerhouse that it is. And my father would tell me about how, you know, he would organize with his, you know, fellow inn owners to advertise together and to set up hotlines together. And they would take calls as they came in and they would just evenly distribute them. They wouldn't try to steal like, oh, I got a call and I was on duty. Let's book them in our hotel. They had an honor system where they would dole it out to all the hotels and they made it work. They made it work. And, you know, he fixed up and repaired stuff in this bed and breakfast called the Black Friar Inn, unclogging toilets, doing light electrical work, dealing with, you know, mostly lovely people, but a wide variety of people, including some real whack jobs. He also would give kayak tours on the ocean, right around the coast of Bar Harbor, freezing cold water. He would be in a two-person kayak giving a tour to some tourist. They'd be in the front hole. He'd be in the back, so he'd help guide them and say, okay, lean this way. And every now and then, you know, if the, if the tourist got panicked, they'd lean too far and dump them into the water. They'd have to learn how to, you know, he would have to make sure to write the thing, and they'd get all cold and wet, but they'd figure it out, and he kept his patience with that like a saint. It, amazing. He would give uh, bike tours down Cadillac Mountain as well. And he was doing this at an age in which I kept thinking, I don't know, Dad, you seem kind of old to be doing this. He was probably 65 at the time. And I just, you know, I loved him so much. I know my wife and her sister, her oldest sister, her older brother, you know, incredible. Uh, my mother-in-law is still with us, and she's doing relatively well. Uh, she cared for him in the final three, four, maybe five years of increasing dementia. Like, she was a saint, a patience that is hard for me to even comprehend. And uh, I'll be up there on Thursday, so I'm going to do a little short week here. I'll do three days, and then uh, and then the subscriber podcast on Thursday, and that should be enough for me. But, you know, my father-in-law was not a big sports fan when he met me, but he would always compliment me on interviews that he had heard that I had done either on the radio and I think later on on this podcast. He'd be like, Stephen, I really like that interview you had with the so-and-so. That was really good, and he meant it, and he clearly listened to it. He was not just shining me up. Of course, he would also say when he would come visit for holidays, he, you know, if I had <laughs> gotten a haircut and taking my, what was left of my hair almost down to the wood, he would go, oh, what happened to your hair? I'd be like, Dad, you know the deal, buddy. Because he had a great head of cabbage all the way to 85. 
sort of like my mother-in-law would always say, Stephen, do you want some broccoli? When we sit down to dinner, I'm like, Mom, dang it, you know by now that I am not a vegetable eater. But uh, uh, my father-in-law had two beautiful pawed companions in his life later on. Lily the Lab, who was a real handful when she was a puppy. You know, they bring Lily to our house, our brand new house in Sterling <laughs> with the new hardwood floors, and Lily would come in, just, you know, completely energized, freaking, and I would just be like, oh, God, there goes the floors, <laughs> biting my tongue in half. They had Lily the Lab, and uh, they had Sammy the Corgi, and I know he's already with both of them right now, and that gives me some peace right there. All right, let's talk some Andy Poland, shall we? Sandon gets the rail run, and they're into the stretch, and it's Fessier, Crown Pride, and Epicenter is coming up on the outside. Epicenter has taken the lead as they arrive into the final furlong. Sandon is coming after him. Epicenter and Sandon, these two strive for stride. Simplification down the outside is next. They're coming down to the wire. Epicenter, Sandon, rich strike is coming up on the inside. And in your life, Andy Poland, have you ever seen a Kentucky Derby quite like that? No, and uh, I guess you would have to go back to 1913, and though I've been around for quite some time, uh, no, I I didn't see that one. (laughs) I mean, that was bonkers. I'm not a big Derby fanatic per se, but I'm watching it, and I'm like, holy shit, what's this horse doing? Coming up from behind, is anybody paying attention? Because I noticed it for the final stretch. It wasn't until I watched the overhead shot, and right. it becomes even more amazing uh, that this horse, uh, uh, Rich Strike, was able to win. Uh, the call by NBC track announcer Larry Collum is one of the all-time great sporting calls, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, the, to have watched it live, I mean, that's, that's really where you get the full effect. It's it, you're exactly right. Like you, you like, where's he coming from? And then when it's all over, it appears that the pace was too fast and he ran the exact right race that he had enough left in the tank to pass all these other horses that were slowing down. It was remarkable. Well, all right, we'll get into some of the explanations in a second, but I just, I'm watching the overhead again as they rounded the final pole to say down the stretch, they come. Rich Strike was in 13th place and was log jammed behind any number of two wide and three wide horses. Now, some would say they forgot to close the rail. Never forget to close the rail. But the the turbo boost, once Rich Strike had finally pulled into the clear in third place over the last 100 yards maybe, was staggering, which leads me to say I'm going to wait to see if it holds up once the lab work gets in because the horse was then going crazy and trying to eat the guide pony after the race. Yeah, that, that was another another part of this. But, uh, yeah, I mean, w- w- what, what kind of boost could he have gotten that would have made well, this illegal? A- Andy, remember, this is horse racing in which drug doping is a common thing, and it's gotten True. guys like Bob Baffert suspended multiple yeah. times, but he's still not out of the sport. He's in the shadows. Right. I think he was out for this 
particular Kentucky Derby. But, you know, this is what horse racing is. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. It's just like race car driving. And there was at one time a jockey had a shock buzzer in the butt end of his riding crop. Remember that? But but, but this is a horse (laughs) that was headed for the Peter Pan until about uh, 8.59 a.m. on Friday. Right. It wasn't until there was a last, I mean, last minute scratch. Now I've that heard he even got into the race. I've heard the theories. The pace was way too fast early. Everyone else got winded. Okay. Yeah. I can buy that to a certain extent. They said, no, you know what? He was drafting. There was a 10 mile an hour headwind. And he, because he was so far back in the pack, he wasn't as tired. Okay. I can sort of buy that. Others have said, well, this was actually a pretty lively horse, even though it was picked up for thirty grand less than a year ago and was installed as a 99-to-1 favorite. It ended up closing at 80-to-1. I think on the novelty alone, people were betting it just like, ha-ha, I'm going to bet a 99-to-1 horse just in case it wins. But if the real horse racing bettors had any idea, like, no, this horse is, nobody knows him, but it's mm-hmm. a fast, wild horse, it would have never opened 99-to-1. It would open 50-to-1. Okay, but, but how many people who bet on the Kentucky Derby really study the racing form? A lot. And- no, a lot of not- them do, and I made fun of it on Friday as we were going to have a horse racing expert on the show, and he bailed on us in the last minute, and then we stumbled around picking which names we liked the most, including which jockey names we liked, and we said, you know what? This is probably as accurate as any handicapping, which makes the horse people completely crazy. For years, Andrew Beyer at the Washington Post, as you know, Andy, who was yep. the resident horse racing columnist and handicapper, he would have lost people multiple homes over the 30 years of handicapping horse races. Right. Well, what, what he, he used to, he made his money, you know, with the trifectas and boxing horses and, and all that. You don't just make the money, you know, putting a pile of money down on some horse that you like. But That's as I recall, way. as I recall, he wasn't a particularly good handicapper. Well, he was, and particularly the the uh, the big races, the, the triple crown races, his record in those was not very good at all. But uh, he, he, he he did fine. He dropped out of Harvard to bet on the ponies okay. and, and made a nice living. All right, <laughs> he, he had a good he had a good gig for a long time yeah. writing for the Post. Yeah. So oh, yeah. in that sense, he was very smart and and did his job very well. But I I just think that <laughs> betting on the ponies is like <laughs> anything else. At the end of the day, it's still gambling. So oh, yeah. that said, apparently, I don't know what the TV ratings are, but the betting handle was up for the Derby to levels even before the pandemic. So we're showing a robust interest in betting on at least the Derby, if nothing else. So that's good for them. Now the question is, can this Cinderella horse win the Triple Crown? Probably not, but but it makes for a good, you know, two weeks until we get to the uh, Preakness, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I don't even know if it's going to race in the Preakness. A lot of times they bow out. For a while there, there was a big, I forget the sponsor, that was putting up like $5 million if you won the Triple Crown because many horses are like, fuck it, I'm not going to try to race the Triple Crown. The track combination is not good for my horse. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a story. Uh, I actually covered the 1985 uh, Kentucky Derby for UPI. And, wow. uh, and, and when you cover a, a Derby, you have to go down to the stables early in the morning and interview the trainers, and interview the jockeys. So I see this horse named Spendabuck. And I look at this horse like, wow, 
like, you know, when you're a teenage boy on the beach and a certain, <laughs> you know, female walks by, you go, whoa. It was a striking so, horse, majestic. Oh, yeah. Regal yeah, and almost. So, and, and so then I thought, well, I've got to bet this horse. And, of course, when it came time to bet the race, I got cold feet, didn't bet him. And he oh, won. Yeah. And he, he was a, not, a, not a huge long shot, but a but decent-sized long shot. And, and he did not run in the Preakness and ran in the Jersey Derby instead because there was more money. And they closed up that hole uh, right after that. If you look it up, they that's when they came up with the bonus money right. to win the Triple Crown. Yeah. yeah. Uh, only Andy Pauley, by the way, would be on a free junket covering the Derby for a newspaper or a news outlet, UPI, yeah. United yeah. Press International, a wire service that is out of business now, right? Well, still, it, it exists, Emerged. but barely. Okay. Barely. It, right. In the name, it exists, yeah. All right. Were you filing audio reports? Like, this yeah, is Andy Poland here at the Kentucky Derby. Yeah, so it, was a, it was a radio network, and uh, we, you know, put out reports and audio for stations around the country to use, yeah. Oh, my God. How old were you? I was uh, 1985. I was, I guess, 26, 27. Do you yeah. have audio of that somewhere? In your resume tapes, uh, archives, maybe find it. yeah, but it'd be on cassette tape, and I have to find a cassette recorder. Hey, to play listen, I will convert it. I want to hear that. I want to hear a twenty-five-year-old Andy Poley all excited at the Kentucky Derby. But it is peak Andy Poley that he would be there free, like a horse who who stopped him in his tracks. The horse's name was Spend a Buck, and right. Andy Poley at the last minute said, "Nah." I'm not going to spend a buck because you're too frugal. That is well, peak I, 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 Andy. I bet, I bet, I bet some some other horse. I, because I know. I was, probably, I was probably listening to other people who were in the press box talking about. It. I remember, remember the late great Nick Charles. Yes, uh, who, who, with with CNN. CNN. He was he was Nick in Charles, there. Fred Hickman, the big duel on CNN uh, yeah, Sports. And, and, and and Nick Charles looked like Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, he was he was a dreamboat. And and he was he was betting big and he was winning big at that derby. Not what? just the derby, but the other races before. What was the Cinderella horse that was owned by a conglomerate I, of I guys that weren't very rich and almost won the Kentucky Derby? I don't know. You don't remember that? The the oh was that uh, no funny almost side? almost almost wins uh, the Triple Crown. Funny side was that the horse? I don't think it was Funny Side. Mm. You're gonna make me look this up. I thought your, uh, I thought your, uh, your memory of the horses was a lot better. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't prepared for an extensive. You weren't. Test on oh, okay. Horses. Sorry about that. What, what do you have, uh, Commanders rookie mini camp, uh, ready to break down for me? What do you got? Well, I, I, I have something that, that you actually responded to on Twitter yesterday. Uh, oh, I'm I gonna, found. and I'm gonna get to that. I, and, I, okay. and there's a fascinating angle to this, which I actually love. But let me look this up. Kentucky Derby winners wiki. Uh, Barbaro was the horse that broke his leg and captured yeah. everyone's heart because they're like, and, oh and, no. And went, by the way, Barbaro, that went on forever. <laughs> Will the horse live? Will the horse die? They put Jeremy Shap in full medical, whatever they <laughs> call them, scrubs. <laughs> Yes. Scrubs, yeah, with with the whole deal, and and he's standing next to the bar. Just shoot the damn horse, okay? Which they eventually did, but they were they were so you know intent on getting the and and then they said because his leg was so bad he couldn't even be a stud because the, his leg wouldn't hold up to the uh, you know the shipping that would go on. <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> when he's banging another filly to try yeah. to produce some sweet horse racing babies. His leg was going to break, which if you got to right. go out one way or the other, that'd be the way you'd want to go, right? Um, I guess. Could yeah. it have been 
could it have been Smarty Jones in 04? Could have been, yeah. Might Funny been. side was the year before. Uh, Barbaro yeah. was 06. Mind that bird in 09 had a run similar to this, according to horse people, uh, from the back. Of course, people are saying that this run was like Daryl Green running down Tony Dorsett on Monday yeah, but Night it, Football. But Daryl Green was at least a first-round draft pick. This would be like an undrafted free agent. That's true. <laughs> you know? That's true. <laughs> Someone else said uh, this was the equivalent of Lyle Lovett marrying Julia Roberts. There you go. That's better. <laughs> Is that like a good that. one right there? You like that? Yeah, okay. I do. All right. So enough of horse racing. We move on. You know, we're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't help you just hire faster. 93% of employers agree. Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. This according to a recent Indeed survey. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Zabe. Just go to Indeed.com slash Zabe right now and support the show by saying you heard about it right here on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Zabe. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Andy Poley also had a peak moment over the weekend in which the Pro Football Hall of Fame official blue check mark account tweeted out something about Earl Morrill, quarterback. Of no, the, no, 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 no. Johnny Unitas. Johnny Unitas. Tweeted out something about Johnny Unitas and the Baltimore Colts of 1968-69. Well, the, the tweet was Johnny Unitas showing his elbow. And I can only believe that this tweet came from like a 23-year-old okay. because the tweet said that Johnny Unitas had an arm injury in the 69 season. And the question was, one of those things where you vote, the question was, if Johnny Unitas was healthy, who would win the Super Bowl, the Colts or the Jets? Okay, that is so, first of all, it's wrong. It was the 68 season that he had the elbow injury, and he missed most of the season. There's no mention in the tweet of Earl Morrill, who played for Unitas, and that year was the MVP of the whole league. This was before the, the two, <laughs> before the merger. Now they yeah. had agreed to merge, right. but there was no merger yet. So there was an NFL and there was an AFL. So he was the MVP of the entire league. <laughs> they lost one game the whole year. They blew out Cleveland in the champ- NFC championship or the NFL championship game, as it was then. And they're playing the Jets. And Earl Morrill has a terrible first half. And he threw three interceptions. In fact, at the end of the first half, he had a wide-open Jimmy Orr right down the middle of the field. But the Colts were wearing blue uniforms. Oh, my God. And, and, and they were like a couple of minutes before halftime. And the Colts marching band, band which with, also had blue uniforms, oh was gathering in the end zone. And he didn't see him. Halftime show. He, wasn't he no waving thing. his arms? Wasn't there the yeah. highlight? He's like waving. Hi, I'm open. I'm right. open. I'm and Morrill couldn't see him because yeah. he blended in with the blue uniforms. Okay. So he has three first-half interceptions. And Don Shula, the coach of the Colts, tells Unitas, warm up, you're going to start the second half. And just as the second half begins, Shula changes his mind and says, no, no, we're going to stick with Morrill. 
Morrill threw another interception. Unitas finally goes in the game when it's 13 to nothing. He leads them to a touchdown, but it's not enough. They lose the game 16 to seven. If he'd have started Unitas the second half, they might've won the game. But yeah. the reason that Shula didn't do it is he was loyal to Earl Morrill, who's not mentioned in this tweet, probably by a 23 year old who doesn't know who the hell Earl Morrill is. <laughs> And the Pro Football Hall of Fame allows this to happen. How is that? Right. This was not just a uh, football focus in my mom's basement Twitter account. This is the Pro Football Hall of Fame with the imprimatur of their account and their blue check mark, and they got it wrong. So I tweeted Andy Poley, spelled with an I, and L-L-I-E. That's an inside joke for those that used to listen to you on the Tony Kornheiser show because one of the callers – called up and said rather indignantly, Andy Poli in an angry yeah. fashion, and that drop was then pulled and used incessantly, right? Correct. Correct. So uh, I said, Andy Poli fact-checking the blue check account of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, hashtag power move. Did you hear anything back from the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Like, no. Oh, thank you. I that didn't. was our bad. Or, I, yeah, I, good. Appreciate you mopping that up. Just crickets. Yeah, I, I used to know that I, I haven't seen him in years. I forget his name, but he was the uh, PR director for the Hall for many years. This wouldn't happen under his watch. He retired a couple of years ago. But, the, I mean, that's well, the, just okay. insane that they do that. Here's the problem, Andy. The people old enough to remember don't know how to tweet. Like, right. you're it. Like, you would know how to tweet. <laughs> Most of the old curmudgeons who know these kind of details don't know how to tweet so they got to hire some 20 something to tweet content out there and they they biffed on one i do right. think they should have corrected themselves and say you know what thanks for the mop up you're correct no, but they're just anything. too cowardly to do that what i did like was that the way twitter works is you'll often see people who like the tweet and i saw our friend barry sferluga from the Washington Post, like the tweet. And I haven't talked to Barry in a long time. I'm not really even close with him. I would talk to him on the radio during interviews, so I yeah. never really fully fully knew his opinion of me, but I was glad to see that Barry got a chuckle out of it and liked it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, 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 it, it, the, the problem is, is that when they go to hire somebody who's a social media director, they, they should not allow him to put out content for something like the Hall of Fame. I mean, the Hall of Fame right. is based on the, the history of the league. And if you're going to totally botch something that important, Andy, you don't leave it in the hands of some guy who doesn't know who the hell Earl Morrill is. Andy, they let a former low-level criminal by the name of David Baker with his creepy, ginormous, oh, yeah. smiling, bald head pretty much preside over this cruel ceremony for years of knocking on doors. I mean, the Hall of oh, Fame yeah. is gone. I'm sorry to say it. The, the committee members they allow to keep hanging on like leeches are an embarrassment. I, I wish it weren't so, because I agree. It should be better, but it's not. No, it's just embarrassing. Awesome. All right. Speaking of embarrassing, Katie Nolan is back at it again. Mm. Did you see Katie Nolan complain that, oh, I guess I'm not over the misogyny thing still? She's apparently uh, very you know uh, shook by the criticism she's been getting over the MLB broadcasts by Apple TV Plus on Friday nights. She's part of a crew, and she provides commentary, even though she never played the game and never even played softball, like at least Jessica Mendoza. Mm-hmm. And at one point early in the year, she asked on air, so is it an out if you tag the runner on the helmet but not the body? Ooh, ooh. 
Ooh. Right. I, I don't understand her. She she was with Fox, I believe. She's and she been got, everywhere. Well, but wait, wait. ESPN, Fox, Fox yeah, she, NBC. She, she is the girl that some executives just want to get over. They think, God, she's sharp. She's sassy. She's clean looking. She's middle America. She's hot enough to be your girlfriend, but not so hot that you think you got no chance. Let's give her another job. She's but, not good at anything. But she, as I understand it, she was at Fox. She made some noise there. And uh, with big noise. fanfare. Yeah. That, that was, Define noise. But, but became well known enough that when ESPN hired her, it seemed like a big deal. And then I never saw her. Well, she was with them for like four or five years. I know. And, and they I, buried I, her. They paid her a million dollars to do to web shows. To do web, to do, what? to do web shows. I never saw a thing. Uh, I never well, saw anything not. she did. And then her contract ended, and you go, "Oh, okay. Well, they're still paying her, and now she's she's with Apple I, again. She's not on my radar at all." Well, she said in an interview with Mike Golick uh, on his podcast, I think Golick Junior's podcast. She's like, "I don't get it. You know, it's like I've been around a minute. I have an Emmy. I guess I'm not over the misogyny thing. I'm like." enough lady you aren't good you've given been given way too many chances you don't really deserve and guess what it's not a matter of your ovaries men will listen to and like women that are good i could cite yeah. numerous examples yeah oh yeah no there's there's a woman now i i, I must admit that i don't watch the capitals really until they get to the playoffs bro they're up two one you better jump in a potential yeah, I, huge eight-one upset brewing in the East here. Go ahead. Uh, so I, I watched. I watched the yesterday's game, and they have a woman who does the pre and the post game with Alan May, a former player. Yeah, a Alexa Landestoy. She's yeah. outstanding. She's sure. really good. Yeah. Now, does she talk hockey, or is she just like the host? No, she she knows hockey. Okay. And she 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 tees up Alan well, well and, good. and our friend Al Koken is a part of the pre and the post game coverage. Of course, I'm a huge fan of Joe Beninati and, and Craig Lawson. Joe B they're is great. fantastic. You I know, dearly great. I dearly miss though Doc Emmerich at this time of year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his but, re, his replacement uh, Kenny Albert is outstanding. He's yes. really really good. But yep. man, yep. Doc Emmerich was the soundtrack of my springs as a hockey fan for many a year and I miss him, but I, I hope yeah. he's enjoying his retirement. I do too. He, he's, he was too, he was the hockey what Vin Scully was the baseball. He was that good. All right. Lastly, this buck Celtic series is full of chirpiness and Ooh. chippiness back and forth. Uh, after the game three on Saturday in Milwaukee, uh, there was accusations both ways from the fan bases and from the players and coach Ime Odoku who said, I guess I have to teach my players to flop more, which drew many guffaws from Bucks fans. Bucks fans were saying, hey, we didn't shoot a free throw for the final quarter and a third. Like, their last free throw was with 2.36 to go in the third at home, which is unthinkable. They also point out that the Celtics had 17 free throws to no free throws for the uh, Bucks in that span. The call they didn't like, though, was Marcus Smart was apparently going up for a three-point attempt to tie and drew holiday wisely reached in and double arm raked him to keep the shot from going off and they ruled it a non-shooting foul i saw it live i i didn't think it was a shooting foul you did I, I i thought the, i thought it was the right call well i i have gone back on this at first i was like i don't know how you don't call that a foul 
he was clearly trying to rise up with like two seconds left, or no, four yeah. seconds left. He was trying to rise up and shoot a three. There was no other option at that point in the game. But what the NBA did is they apparently got rid of the sort of pull-through move on three-point shooting. Thank you, James Harden. He's the one that caused that change. So they've changed mm-hmm. the rule. And so because Holiday got to him quick enough, it was not a three-point shooting situation. So That's what I thought. That's the way I saw it when I saw it live. Yeah. But uh, the, the thing about the NBA is this. I want to ask you this question. Is the officiating better now than it was 30 years ago? Well, I think when we didn't have replays, and this plays right into your wheelhouse, you know, the call would be made and it would be good or be bad, and, and that would be the end of it. But now that you can replay it 100 times, you can decide more if the, if the officiating is good or bad. You know, they, there was a, a time when they only had one official. One. What prehistoric time was that? I remember the two officials, which lasted until the mid-'80s, I want to say. Yeah. Well, this was probably back in the 50s. But, yeah, <laughs> okay. it, it, until, the, until the 80s, yeah, there were two officials. See, and there was no replay, and that's the way it was. I think the NBA is now pretty much unofficiatable, if that's even yeah. a word. You can't officiate it for a couple reasons. One, somebody put up a supercut on Twitter of every time a player went to the floor in that game three. Do you know how long the supercut was? Three minutes. It was three continuous minutes of guys falling down. Now, some were legit, but at least half of them were brazen flops. And I've said that the reason guys flop is because it works. It draws the eye and the attention and the reaction of the referees. They were supposed to start, you know, pushing back against this and calling flopping fouls and fines that escalated, but they seemingly have given up. So now you can't sort out the real fouls from the flops because these athletes are so good, they can sell fake flops really, really well. That's right. And look, uh, if you want to talk about now versus then, Will Chamberlain played 13 years, never left the floor, like, you know, averaged more than 48 minutes a game one season. Right. Never fouled out of a game in his entire career. Are you yep. telling me that's actually what happened or they were just so intimidated by him or the game was so rough? Who knows? And now, you know, there's the various rules for the superstars. Oh, you can't call a foul on him. He's too big a star. Well, so, so how do you know? Here's, here's the other problem you mentioned fouling out. So I just went back just on a lark to look at the box scores from these three games, which have been, by most accounts, the most physical three games that people have seen all year in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Total number of players disqualified with six fouls go. How many? I'll say three. Zero. Really? Yeah. Man, no. The, the yeah. NBA does not foul out players anymore. So if right. you're not going to foul anybody out, and I'm going to actually go back and look at all the games in the playoffs so far, I'd, I'd be shocked if there's more than a handful of foul outs. And usually the foul outs are for scrub players. Like there was somebody, I think, for Golden State that fouled out in 11 minutes flat, which is kind of funny. But if you don't foul guys out, if that risk isn't real – then you'll never be able to call all the fouls and players will ramp up their physicality to meet that reality. And it's unfortunate because all the talk after game three was a back and forth about the fouls. Giannis commits a charge every time down the court. Wilbon, Mayor McCheese was big on that from his perch in Phoenix on NBA (laughs) Showtime. And, And others pointed out that, hey, Giannis has double the number of charge calls this year in the NBA than the second most guy. Shut your hole on that. And what it does is it takes away from the game. It takes away from 
the series. So I don't know what there's a solution to it, but it's gotten so bad now. They got to do something. Got to. Uh, what do they do? I mean, look, uh, Tim Legler told me that if Jordan picked up his third foul, watch out. <laughs> watch out. He'd <laughs> he murder you. Well, yeah, he might as well pull out a crowbar and hit you over the head yeah. because they weren't going to call foul number four on him. All right, final thought before I let you go. Did you watch any of the uh, TPC Potomac at Avenel Farms uh, Wells Fargo Championship in 59 degrees rain on Friday? 50, no, sorry, 49 degrees rain on Friday, 51 degrees and more rain on Saturday. They got it in. And then a lovely, and I mean lovely, it's not lovely, 55 bone-chilling degrees with 30-mile-an-hour winds on Sunday. Did you watch it? Max Homa, your winner. Yeah, I watched the end of it. I watched him win that and uh, watched him battle it out with Keegan Bradley, who, by the way, is from Vermont and uh, is used to playing in in weather like that. Oh, look at you, part-time Vermonter. Andy spends his summers up there a month every summer. I do, a week week every summer with friends. A week? I thought it was a month. Okay. No, it's just a week. Okay. But the, uh, the, 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 I was thinking about this. We, we did a lot of Kemper Opens and, and uh, Blue oh, Allen, whatever it was. It used to be a staple on the D.C. market, and it was awesome because it was at the end of May, not the beginning, and the right. weather was but, always cherry pie. Not always. We we had some we had some yeah. years. We had some and, rain outs. Yeah. I, and the and the the last year, it, it, Kemper finally <laughs> gave up the sponsorship in the early two thousands. It was taken over by Booz Allen, and in two thousand six, it finished on a Tuesday, Tuesday. with no spectators <laughs> because because they had so much rain. And we thought, and, and that was the last year they were having it too. So we thought that's it. And then Tiger Woods stepped in. It's right. like, you know, it's like the fat girl from school broke up with you and, and the head cheerleader said, would you like to go to the prom? Yeah. And we went, whoa. Except the, so- the difference is uh, they, he never he never had his tournament at Avenel. He had it at Congressional. Oh, yeah. No, no. He was Tiger then. He yeah. was Tiger in his prime. This I is know. 2007 Tiger. And they said, they, they said to him, uh, we, we really like you to have it at Avenel. And he said, I'm not even going to look at it. It's going to be a congressional, okay? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, fine, Tiger. You're, you're, you're good. And, and then, remember, like a couple of years in, they're having trouble selling tickets, and they offered us in an interview with him. You know, how, we, how many people are offered interviews with Tiger Woods? Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, that was a yeah. highlight of my career, getting to interview him. It was not bad. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, Ryan Ballingy, uh tweeted out, he uh, works for uh, Golf News Net. He says, Bring back the tour to D.C. in the area as an annual event in the fall, and people will freaking love it. Spring and summer are dud seasons here. I replied, not true. May 14th through June 6th is usually quite lovely, despite pollen counts in the trillions, and September 28th to October 20th is usually a banger. But yeah, the rest and- but the rest is shit. True yeah, that. I would... I wouldn't do it in the fall. In fact, Feinstein wrote a, John Feinstein wrote a column about this in the paper and uh, pointed out that the fall was offered, but they turned it down because it's just not a good time to have it here. Nobody cares. And, the, yeah, the golf yeah. season is over. It's part of the wraparound schedule. They just do not yeah. care. Not going to go. not work. No, no, it's too bad. No. My complaining about the weather is undefeated, Andy, in the D.C. area. You know that. You are. You're, it's you're, my you're hobby. It's, it's, it's my hobby. It's what I do. I have a passion for it. I have an enthusiasm for it. And as a lifelong D.C. resident, I'm allowed to do it, God damn it. Yeah, well, you, you know, as soon as we have a bad snow, you start carping about Phoenix. I say, go already. Just go. <laughs> Just go. Exactly. Get out. All go right. to Phoenix. All right, Andy. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, brother. All right, Zed. Take care.
We'll end on this. It always happens on an airplane. You see the darndest things. I saw on my flight to Milwaukee this week a full plastic bowl of fresh, succulent, ripe watermelon passed from one passenger in the group that was traveling on Southwest Airlines, so they were a row or two ahead, passed over the tops of the seats to the woman and her young child sitting next to me in near one of the back rows. And I'm looking at this thing, and I see that watermelon juice sloshing around. I know it's in a plastic container right from the grocery store. There's no napkins. There's no Ziploc baggies. There's no Tupperware. There was nothing to sort of mitigate. How are you going to eat this exactly? What are you going to do, open it up and just start fingering the watermelon into your mouth and then wiping it on your shirt? So I was already very much like, okay, boy, this, this, this could be bad. And in the middle of the flight, the woman ends up handing the bowl of watermelon to her daughter next to me. Here, you hold this. And she was very sweet, and she held it. You know, her daughter was probably 12 years old maybe. She held it on her lap. At one point, though, the lid came off. I don't know why. Maybe she tried to sneak a little you know, bite of it just to, to get a snicker roll. And, and I look over, and then, now they're having trouble getting the lid back on. Because you know how those plastic things, they, they don't always seal just correctly. And, and they're wrestling with it, the two of them. And I'm like, oh, this is, we had a turbulent fight, flight as well. I'm like, this is going to just be a complete disaster. But okay. So they get the lid back on. And it's crisis I think averted, and I doze off to sleep, and I am awakened by a loud, sharp pop. I look over, and sure enough, the lid of the watermelon tub has popped open because they resealed it shortly after takeoff at lower altitudes, and the pressure inside the tub had popped it open. Thankfully, none of the water in it, none of the juice spilled out all over the place, but I'm like, nah, nah. But I'm sure this is not even the worst story of somebody eating something on an airplane that you should not remotely try to eat. Now, I did take a, I thought I took a sneaky picture to, to send to uh, some of the boys going, oh, this looks like a disaster. And I didn't notice, but the, the little girl in the photo, she's looking right at me like, I saw you do that. So now I've perfected as I started to go, okay, let's see. How do I do a sneaky side photo? I know. I turn my phone with the screen side away from the person to my right or left that I want to photograph. And I kind of put it up against my chin as if I'm kind of thinking, just kind of resting my chin on the phone, just kind of, hmm, I wonder what I'm going to do today. What's going on here? And then using the up volume button, you can go ahead and take a photo. That'll be my new sneaky way of taking photos for people that don't want to be seen taking side photos. I know, you're like, what are you, a creep? You're going to take up shirt, up skirt? No, I'm not going to do anything illegal, but every now and then i got to take a little sneaky photo, for God's sakes. But the point is, people, we're living in a society here. Right, Costanza? I mean, we can't just have stuff like this. There's got to be some decorum. There's got to be some sense of, you know what? This is not any way to go. You know, we're living in a society. We're supposed to act in a civilized way. Does she care? No. Does anyone 
ever display the slightest sensitivity over the problems of a fellow individual? No. No. A resounding no. That was from Seinfeld back when there was a payphone storyline because George was at a Chinese restaurant waiting to make a call on a payphone, standing there waiting, and at the last minute when the phone opens up, a woman slides in while he wasn't looking and grabs the phone, and there's an argument. Payphones. Yes, that's how old Seinfeld is. I know. I feel bad recommending it to my young buck producer, Josh, because it is very dated, but still. You know, we're living in a society we're supposed to act in a civilized way. Yeah, we, 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 we can't have these plastic tins of watermelon with the juices all sloshing around on a crowded, stuffed-to-the-gill Southwest flight. We just, we just can't have it. I'm sorry. All right, with that, I'm done. Thank you so much for listening, for downloading. Spread the word, rate and review as always. I appreciate it if you get the time. Have yourself a great Monday. Big start to the week. Have a good Monday, and we will see you next time. I'm